rendition of Married It You Know on television recently. It was well done. Professional singer. I like ours better. <laughs> Man, when they said the Married You Know, holding the great I am, mercy. Uh, boy, that's some, that is profound. Uh, the mystery of the hypostatic union, that is the union of two natures in the one person of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll never get over that. Uh, that. That's impossible, finite minds to comprehend how God could become a man and he remain God at the same time. Uh, that's, that's way, 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 way beyond us. <laughs> Amen. And there, there are no, I don't hear your line of 100,000 Einsteins never comprehend that profound reality that God became a man. The fact is, he's going to be the God-man forever. Did you not know that when Jesus did that, he determined to be the God-man forever? That's amazing. To me, that, that just boggles my mind. I'm going to get to the sermon here in a minute. That, just, that, that boggles my mind that God would join himself with humanity and remain that way for the remainder of eternity. Wow. Think about that. What a Savior. What a Lord. What a God we, we serve. Well, if you'll open your copy of the Scripture, we're going to talk further about it. Philippians chapter 2. We were there last week. We pick up here this week as well. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 9 for our study. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We're entitling these verses, The Way Up is Down. The way up is down. Christmas teaches us about the divine order of things. That order is reflected in the paradoxical statement that serves as a title to um, our message this morning. The paradox is illustrated in our text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. A seemingly contradictory statement of the way up is down. But that is the reality of what happened when Jesus became one of us. The Christian message, the way God does things, inverts the whole scale of secular ambitions and virtues. The world pursues being at the top, being number one. Whatever is necessary to get there is a focus on self. Jesus Christ, the very opposite. In fact, in God's kingdom, worldly standards are turned topsy-turvy. And it is that perspective where we see things properly. If you really want to understand the right way, look at God's way. If you want to understand how things are really to be, what God approves, look at Christ. To put it another way, the world's ways are upside down. God's ways are right side up. 
Jesus Christ left heaven where his deity was outwardly manifested. That's what it means when it speaks of a form of God. Verse 6. He did not grasp or take advantage of his privileges, prerogatives, his honors, and the glories of his divine nature. All of that was hid for all eternity. Rather, in self-humbling, he traded those things for humiliation, rejection, hatred, took on the form of a slave, and he went to death, even death on a cross. His condescension was without equal because his place was the highest. Christ, you will remember, in eternity had the attitude or the thinking or the mindset of humility. That's the mind-blowing thing. That here he is with all of that glory, all of who he is, yet he had a mindset of humility. He was thinking about the spiritual welfare of others. Us. Who are we? Sinners. People not deserving his grace and his mercy, but deserving of his wrath. He just, he did not just think about it, but it was a catalyzing reality, a motivating factor in his leaving his glory behind to meet our need. Christians, Paul told the Philippians and by way of extension, he tells us, too, that we are to mimic Christ. You notice that's what it says. Remember from last week in verse 5, it says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be like, be like Christ. I'm always reminded of the, the fact that when the, the basketball superstar hero, Michael Jordan, was in his heyday and playing, and everybody said, be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Even Kobe Bryant hung out his tongue like Mike. <laughs> Young men wanted to be like Mike on the basketball court, but they'd have Mike's skills. We are to be like Christ. Whereas we couldn't be like Mike in terms of athletics, all of us who are children of God can be like Christ. We're to be like Christ toward one another. That the way to do that is down. And that's what the text shows us this morning. Christ went down. He humbled himself. But that wasn't the end uh, of the matter. What we see in our text this morning is that God the Father exalted him. And the first thing we want to look at in verse 9, the A portion, is supreme exaltation. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. Because Christ humbled himself to the point of being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. God the Father reversed the humiliation of Christ with exaltation of Christ. That is a principle of God's kingdom. That is the way his kingdom functions. Throughout his 
earthly ministry, Jesus taught this truth. For example, in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, he said this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see what God does, what Jesus teaches? He says, if you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of that reality. He embodied it. Here in the terms, uh, two words, verse 9, a portion highly exalted. I'm going to tell you a little something from the Greek language. There's a word that we use, we talk about something being hyper, hypersonic, hyper whatever. Uh, that, that's a preposition in the Greek, and on the word here for exalted is hyper. It is to exalt above and beyond. It is to super-exalt, hyper-exalt. The Father super-exalted Jesus from the depths. Say, so what are the depths? Not only did he come here, we see it here. It says, for this reason also, because he went to death on a cross. So from the depth of death on a cross burial, the Lord raised him from the dead. Then there is ascension. Jesus being exalted. He passed through the heavens according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. But that's not all. He sat down at the right hand of majesty, the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. That's the highest point or elevation in existence. You can't get any higher than being at the right hand of God. So, from burial in a borrowed tomb all the way up to God at his right hand, the highest point in all of existence that the Father raised up Jesus. He exalted him, highly exalted him. Now, we need to understand something. It was not possible for Jesus to be elevated or lifted higher in his essential being or his nature because he has always been and always will be God. The elevation relates to him being given the highest place in honor and glory and power because of his redemptive sacrifice on the cross. There, on the cross, of course, we know what he did. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. He dealt with hell for us, the elect, forever. He is now in that supreme place as the God-man. In his exaltation... He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. He is above all of the powers, all the names, every name, the, those list of names I gave you, dominions and power and rules, all the angelic beings. He's exalted above all of them as the God-man. Our Lord in his exaltation right now he intercedes for us 
Romans chapter 8, verse 34. There can be assaults about our security. Satan would like to do that, whatever the case may be, but he intercedes for us. Our, our salvation is secure because Christ exalted the highest point. He intercedes for you and me. He is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 26. He is able to save to the utmost or completely all those who will draw near to him. We have drawn near to him. We've come to him in faith. And therefore, he is able to save us. That is, complete our salvation. We don't have to worry about, will we make it? Because he, our, our, our high priest, is at the highest point, And he is going to ensure that we will experience complete salvation. In the presence of, he's also the judge of all men. All mankind and give an account to him. Christians will at the Bema. Our lives will be evaluated. We're, we're, we're not going to have to concern ourselves with our salvation. That's a non-issue. That's been secured. That's taken care of. I just said that. But we will give an account of our lives, our service, our commitment to him. How did we live for him? We will stand before him at the Bema, 2 Corinthians 5, and give an account for our lives. What we did with our opportunities, what we did with our gifts, what we did with our time, what we did with our treasure, what did we do with them? He's the judge of all mankind. Then the unsaved. At a different judgment, different time, they will stand before him and give an account as well. Because he has the highest place. Supremely exalted. This is our Christ. The first portion of verse 9 tells us of his supreme exaltation. But you notice something else comes along with it. A superior name. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. <coughs> that name is bestowed by God the Father. It's a gracious bestowal, giving freely and generously the name that is above every name. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says it's in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Any name that has power, it represents power, like the angels, the holy angels and the fallen angels, all of them, his name is a name that's above them. The Father's bestowed that on him. Now, why did the Father bestow this name above every name on Jesus Christ is to um, emphasize in his exaltation his rank above everything, above every other being in the universe. All the created beings rank beneath him. Now, you say, what is that name? Some people say it's the name Jesus. No, I don't believe that. It's a common name. It's not the name Jesus. And besides, it means Savior. Yahweh saves. I, I believe the name is revealed to us, not in this text, this verse that we're reading, but later in verse 11, when it says that 
every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is here's the name Lord Lord it's the name our title amazingly that new name that the Lord has uh, is now the Lord in its exaltation our Lord will write that name on us Revelation chapter 3 verse 12 he's going to put on us when we're in his presence his new name and that name is Lord we'll explain more about that name or title shortly so there's a supreme exaltation a superior name and then there's submission universal submission to him You'll notice in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Let's put it like this to give us, because you say, well, at the name of Jesus, what does that mean? At the name belonging to Jesus. And what is the name belonging to Jesus? That name that the Father's given him, and that name is Lord. And when that name is uttered, when that name comes, whatever, however it's going to be done in the future, every knee will bow. This is pre-written history, by the way. That's what prophecy is. God, he writes history before it happens. He said, this is what's going to happen. At the name belonging to Jesus, every knee will bow. Yeah, in fact, it's a quotation from Isaiah 45, verse 23, I think it is, in part. This will be the response to the lordship of Christ. There will be submission to his sovereignty, submission to his authority, a bowing the knee to the reality that he is Lord. Every knee, every rational creature, every being will bow to Jesus Christ. It's universal. Universal submission to him. I really love this because you know the world's in rebellion against him, right? They make jokes about him. They dismiss him. They ignore him. But one day they're going to bow before him. I'm looking forward to that day. You'll be vindicated before all the created order. Now you notice every knee will bow the locations of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Three locations. This universal homage will be paid to Jesus Christ. This worship, this Submission in heaven. It's the first location, and it's comprised of some groups of beings. Heaven are the redeemed saints from the Old and New Testament. They will bow the knee. The holy angels, they will, as it were, bow the knee. Their response to Jesus as Lord is a joyous one. Their response is a glad one. 
because the redeemed willingly worship him. They're in submission to him. This their joy. The holy angels, this is their joy. This is our Lord. We delight in that. Just like us. We're happy now to worship him and acknowledge he is the Lord, right? He is the sovereign. Because he's transformed us. He's, we have the new birth. We see that and we relish that and we rejoice in that and we happily bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. But these who are in heaven, that's what they're going to do. And it won't be the first time. Because they do it now. When we do it, it won't be the first time. Because we do it now. That's what salvation yields. Then there are those on earth. On earth? At our Lord's second advent. That is his second coming. Every knee will bow. For some, it ain't going to be pretty. It's not going to be a happy occasion. Let me give you a glimpse as to why. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter one. The Thessalonians were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Apostle Paul lays out mm, there will be retribution for the evil ones. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Verse 7. Let's begin there. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, notice when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. First of all, when he shows up, everybody's going to see it, he's going to be revealed. He's going to come with a multitude of mighty angels in flaming fire. That's going to be a scary sight for sinners. Can you imagine when you're here on earth and Christ, is, Christ comes and you look up and you see this great display of divine presence and power, how they will cause a shuddering of the sinner on earth as he witnesses Jesus Christ coming in. No doubt they will know this is real. And when he comes, he's going to nurse, notice verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a word, sinners. When he comes, he is going to pay them back for their sin. They refuse the gospel. It's retribution, not only for that, but also for those who have afflicted the saints. The Thessalonians and all the saints in history. That's what's going to happen for them. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, that is ruin, loss, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Ah, that's but for us. When he comes, verse 10, 
to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Believers living on earth when he comes again will adore him and worship him. The second coming at the conclusion of the tribulation periods that ravish the earth and Christ comes in mighty power and the believers, tribulation saints who are living during this period of time, they will see him coming to rescue them and they're going to see him in all his power and glory and they're going to adore him and worship him. You're talking about come let us adore him? That, that Christmas song will have added meaning. We see him in his glorious power. See, the redeemed people will happily uh, worship him. Now, this is what I believe will happen. Those who are unbelievers, they're going to be forced to bow the knee. They're going to be forced to submit to him. They're not going to have an option. But those who belong to Christ... It's not a matter of being forced. It's a matter of delight. In this group, I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now who, who some of the people are going to be. You say, how do you know? Listen. It will include those who are Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, Antichrist worshipers, secularists, all who do not obey the gospel be false Christians. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, all those who said, Lord, Lord, did I, and Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. After they bow the knee in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's another group. We'll go back to our text. another location under the earth under the earth <laughs> you see the universe in uh, thinking of the people at time the Hebrews is this there's heaven earth and under the earth threefold distinction under the earth who are they the fallen angels and the unredeemed dead they're under the earth, as it were, waiting final judgment and eternal punishment. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 13 depicts this ultimate fate of those individuals. The fallen angels, and then that'll include Satan, all of them will, one day, they will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is sovereign. No more messing around. He's sovereign. They'll be forced to bow in submission and banished from his presence forever. Think about the last thing they will do in addition to the next thing we'll mention here in a moment is bow the knee in submission to Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Verse 11. And that every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess that the familiar word in the Testament is the word, and it simply means to confess, to agree with. It will be a public declaration in this event. They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only will they demonstrate it by bowing an A in their submission, but they will also say it. Your Lord. Your Lord. You notice something, uh, the words, every knee will bow. Verse 10, thinking about the word tongue here. Just keep your place here and go with me for a moment. I want to show you something. The book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. I think it is. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. It's interesting language here in Isaiah 45. (laughs) And when you read it, you say, ah, ah. You'll get the ah ah moment in a second. Isaiah 45, verse 23. No, verse 22. Let's start there. Have you found it? God is saying, Yahweh is saying, uh, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow. And every tongue will swear. This verse is applied by Paul in the direction of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. A verse that when you read the Old Testament, you're not thinking about Christ here. You're thinking about God. And Christ is God. And so God is saying, yes, that's who I am. And so you're going to bow before me. and You're going to confess that I'm the Lord. This is a verse that tells us since it's given to us in Philippians by Paul, indeed that Jesus Christ is God. Language wouldn't be applied to him if he weren't. Because nobody's going to bow to us. Universally, I confess that we're Lord. You better be God if they do. Now go back to our text here. Now when they confess that he's Lord, it it doesn't save them. It's too late for that. It's too late for those who refuse Christ during their lifetime, human beings. Angels have no redemption. But human beings, confess him as Lord. By the way, let me just uh, parenthetically say, Uh, you don't come to Christ and just take him as Savior to get you out of heaven and maybe make him Lord later. You understand? You take him as Lord and Savior. Jesus doesn't say you can only have half of me. He is not a half Christ. A.W. Tozer said that I believe it is. He's right. It's a whole Christ that we receive. When we come to faith in him, it is Lord and Savior. He died, according to Romans chapter 14, and rose again that he might be Lord. 
sovereign over the life of those who want him to save them from their sins. This idea that you can, you just want Jesus to save me from hell and I'm happy now I'm going to do what I want to do, uh, that's not biblical. It's Lord and Savior. That if you confess that Jesus is Lord, not simply that he's God, of course he's God. That's all the more reason why you bow, right? Believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've got to recognize he is sovereign Lord. Who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord. And that needs to be underscored, I guess, in every opportunity we get because we live in a time and a place in this nation where people thinking, I'm a Christian, uh, and they tell you they're a Christian, and yet they live any old way they want to. There is no submission to the authority of Jesus Christ in the Scripture. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. They live in the way they want to live. Oh, really? Did I not quote that text from Matthew 7 earlier? Jesus said, when he comes, they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Jesus said, uh, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. It's not enough to claim to be a Christian. It has to be the submission of the life to the one that we claim to be following. And here, these people in the future will confess, agree, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. In absolute defeat and surrender before him. Universal authority, universal lordship be manifested. The rebellion will be over. When this is all said and done, no more rebellion. And all the created beings will have acknowledged. He's Lord. Satan always has known that. But I'm going to tell you what Satan is. He's like a python's had his head cut off. He's just thrashing around creating trouble. But his defeat is sure. Because he's defeated at the cross. His doom is sure as the song says. Now notice something here. The rest of the verse to the glory of God the Father. To proclaim uh, the sovereign lordship of his Son is the greatest glory that can be given to God the Father. Wow. God the Father is glorified to the maximum when his Son is proclaimed as Lord. It fulfills his will when that is done. In fact... You, you'll see in the New Testament that the Son seeks to glorify the Father and the Father seeks to glorify the Son. The Son and the Father aimed at glorifying each other. There's no jealousy in the Trinity, obviously. Their aim is to glorify one another. Jesus Christ was highly exalted by the Father to be glorified for the glory of the Father because he first went down. And what's fascinating about this, this whole Christological teaching here is in a text where the Apostle Paul is teaching how believers are to look out for the needs of other people in the family of God. 
the humility of Christ is to be our humility. And I want to close with an illustration of a man who achieved this kind of humility. It was at the end of the Civil War, and William Tecumseh Sherman prepared to lead the great parade that was to ride triumphantly down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington on May 24, 1865. One of his generals, Double O. Howard, Oliver Otis Howard, was scheduled to ride at the head of the division of troops, the Army of the Tennessee, just as other generals would lead their companies. A few days before the parade, however, Sherman has summoned General Howard to headquarters and said, General, I want to ask a favor of you. General Howard replied, yours to command. Sherman said, you know that General Logan has recently been commanding your troops. Yes, sir. Howard, he said, would you do something for me? General Logan wants to ride at the head of his old division, and I want you to surrender your command and allow him to do it. Howard swallowed hard. He had fought with those men and had lived with them on the battlefield and campground and had lost an arm in the service. He had earned the place of honor. And there was no reason why he should give it to his predecessor. Nevertheless, he turned to Sherman and said, Yes, sir, since you put it that way, and since I am a Christian, I will do it gladly. General Logan may ride at the head of my troops. Sherman looked at him in admiration and partial amazement. Howard, he replied, I expected that you would do it. Now you may ride with me at the head of the army. End of quote. The man stepped down and William Tecumseh Sherman elevated. He, he didn't just ride ahead of his own division of troops, but the whole of the army. David McLeod says this, the person who steps down is the one who can be exalted. The Lord Jesus Christ, from whom Double O. Howard learned humility, renounced his privileges to secure salvation for those who believe in him. He rose from the judge's bench, as it were, and went to the gallows for the criminal. He is God. Yet he impoverished himself, exposed himself to evil's hatred. He never spared himself until his ultimate humiliation. He went to the cross. By human standards, this made no sense. Nor does giving up one's rights. Yet, as Paul wrote, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a lesson that we can learn from his, uh, Christmas. The way up is down. For every child of God who 
is working his way down to serve others. God is going to elevate that person in his own time and in his own way. He loves to do that. And we have the best example ever in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, pray together. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the word of the living God. Just truth for our souls, for our living, for a growing comprehension of what it means to be a follower of Christ and the profound reality of Christmas. The Lord Jesus came all the way down. Yet you raised him up. May we increasingly emulate him in this local assembly and for every Christian who hears these truths. Live them out for the glory of your name and advancement of your cause. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.